Amen. Once again, we're in our topic, world religions, cults, and the occult. We are number 13. Give it up, Ruth. Part two, that's right, and the tagline. Story, history, it all means the same thing. Well, hey, let's just move on. That's right. The untold history of the charismatic movement. Now, again, on this back half, the first half, the first 20 that we dealt with, we dealt with the aspects of the aberrant beliefs and aberrant teachings and behavior and all that kind of stuff. Now we're dealing with the tagline, the untold history of the charismatic movement. Because there's a misnomer out there, basically a lie, whether they realize it or not, they say that the reason why we're seeing all this weird aberrant behavior from them is because it's a recent movement. The last day's outpouring of God's spirit, that's what... Not at all. We saw, man, this is the same blowing is going on after the death of the last of apostles, the apostolic age, okay, with Montanism way back then. Uh, then it moved on through Catholicism. Then it hopped over the pond from Europe and came with the Shakers and the Irvingites. we saw. That's how it got to America. Mormonism, the whole belief of Mormonism started. Joseph Smith was into gibberish speaking and the so-called gifts of the Spirit, and he was a prophet. He had a new vision, word from God. That's where Mormonism came out. The same mindset produced Mormonism. The holiness movement, which we saw, had nothing to do with holiness. It's about a false teaching that you need a second dose of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into that again tonight. In order for you to live a perfect life, a sinless life, before you get to heaven. Is that true? Not even close. We dealt with that. But that's really what that holiness movement meant. Okay, and of course the evidence that you got this second dose of the spirit that you don't need, but they say you do in order to live this perfect life, which is a lie, uh, is you got to speak in gibberish. So that's how that got embedded also in that movement. Carried on through Charles Finney, moved on to their conferences, launched the Church of God. Then it went through also the Salvation Army, Smith Wigglesworth, and then here comes your direct ties that we've been seeing with New Age and Hinduism. Started in with Phineas Quimby, Frank Sanford, John Alex Erdowie. Remember both of those? Those two both thought that they were Elijah, right? <laughs> doesn't work that way, okay? And uh, that's why they split. Then moved on to E.W. Kendon, who was trained in the New Age as well. And it went to this guy, William Seymour, we left off last time, that led to the Azusa Street Revival. Now, uh, again, their premise is this movement that we're seeing today in the charismatic community started at the Azusa Street Revival, 1906. Uh, how much history did we see that this same behavior has been going on forever, Right, so that whole premise is not even true, shocker. And we also saw Joel chapter 2, the verse that they want to say, the reason why this is happening, because you know, your young men's going to see vision, old men dream. It's not even dealing with the church. It's all about Israel dealing with the day of the Lord, which starts at the seven-year tribulation moving forward into the millennial kingdom. Has nothing to do with the church, completely ripped out of context. Azusa Street Revival. Now, after the Azusa Street Revival, what I will give them is it began to go all over. That's where we left off last time. All over the world. This charismatic movement with these false teachings went all over the world. So I'll give you that, but it didn't start there. Okay, so I want to dispel that. Now, uh, after the Azusa Street Revival, uh, there's all kinds of false teachings. Why do you think they get so many false teachings? Because they're outside the Bible. They say they follow the Bible, but what do they really do? No, God told me to tell you I had a vision, or I'm the prophet, you need to listen to me. Well, that's all stuff that's outside the Bible, right? So that's why you get so many false teachings. Now, so shocker, guess what? They can't even agree with each other. Because that guy's a prophet. No, he's Elijah. No, he's Elijah. No, he's Enoch. No, he's the prophet. No, she's the prophetess. No, that guy has a word from God. So... They're making up stuff all kinds of places. So they're splitting all over the place after Azusa. Now, the one that we're going to deal with tonight, hence the workbook, that's right, is this one called Oneness Pentecostalism. Okay, so open your workbook if you got one. If you don't have one, uh, there's a couple in that chair right behind you uh, by the sound booth there if you need one. 
But uh, let's go ahead and actually get into our workbook. And if you guys would like to have a dramatic pause, you might as well enjoy it. So it took us 26 weeks, but we got here. Ron, whose county I am? That's right. Praise God. Hey, give it up for uh, Tom and Ron. They were personally at my house this week, rocking it out. They rocked out. They were so into rock. They were just rocking and rolling. They were, yeah, they brought a load of rocks to my house. But anyway, I killed enough time. So let's go ahead and open that workbook. One is Pentecostalism. Okay, so now we got all that. Now you know where this comes from. And it comes out of all this. But man, I'm telling you what, it just gets worse as you go. Okay, including moving forward. But let's deal with this. What is this oneness Pentecostalism? Okay, this uh, uh, section of the charismatic movement. Well, let's take a look at the history. Pentecostalism refers to a movement or denomination that places special emphasis on a direct, is your first blank there. Can you believe it? Remember, don't get a hand cramp. We're filling in a blank. Remember those days back when we were 12? When <laughs> We filled in a blank. Emphasis was on a direct personal experience. Now, that's the problem. It's about experience. It's not about what can be subjectively tried and true and tested, i.e. the Bible. But it's about a supposed direct personal experience of God through baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, here comes the big rub. I don't want to go into this extremely deep like we've done before. Okay, but that's one of the big rubs. They say that you actually need a second dose of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible teaches Okay, uh, when you get saved, what happens? You get the Holy Spirit right then. You do not need more of him, period. Okay, the challenge moving forward is you walk in, live in, and keep in the step of the Spirit, Galatians chapter five. Basically, he gets more of you. You get out of the way and he lives his life through you and bears his fruit, right? That's the challenge, not somehow that you need more of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. That's our opening text, and we're just going to lay down the line before we get started, because this is, again, a big uh, premise, not like oneness Pentecostalism, but we saw, again, of the charismatic movement, that somehow you are lacking, and that you need a second dose of God's Spirit, and the only way, apparently, that you know that you get this second dose, which, by the way, is not true, is you start speaking in this gibberish. Big major divide uh, between what we would believe and what they are propagating across, unfortunately, the planet. But let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, verses 1 through 14, okay? Uh, Paul, uh, of course, speaking here, let's take a look at what he has to say. He says, uh, uh, to the Ephesians, make sure we've got here. There's a chapter 4. Ah, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1. Sorry, thank you for that correction there. Ephesians chapter four, flip over there. Here's what Paul says, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one, how many baptisms? One, right? One baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and who is through all, okay? But clearly the scriptures talks about when you get saved, you get saved uh, at the moment of salvation, you get the spirit the moment you believe, okay? But also he clearly says here in this passage that it's a what? One-time event. You don't get, there is no second baptism. So that is a false teaching. We saw that before, okay? Now let's move on. Uh, Pentecostal is derived from Pentecost, which is the coming of the Spirit at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. 
Okay, so that's where they get it, right? Because they want to give the impression that this is more like how the early church operated and we need to get back to that. But are they operating as the early church operated? No, they get it wrong because what they want is to say that when the church was born and they spoke in tongues or languages, that is what they're doing today. The problem is, guess what? What they're doing today is not languages. It's gibberish. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Let's take a look at that passage. Okay, Acts chapter 2. This, If it's a legitimate gift of languages, it has to be a known language. It can never be this gibberish stuff uh, that we saw before. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. This is the birth of the church, right? They came together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, okay, where they were sitting. They saw that what seemed to be uh, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, glossalia, literally languages. Now, how do you know it's not gibberish? Well, keep reading. The context defines it for you. Okay, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own what? Language. It says it right there. Continue on. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own what? Not even native, now as we dealt with before, I don't want to go into it as deep as we did before, but uh, native language literally means in the dialect. It wasn't just English. If somebody came from Arkansas, they even had a kind of little bit of a drawl. That's what he's talking about. He even had the dialect down. It's like, what? This is amazing. But it was a known language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own what? Tongues are literally languages. So if it's a biblical gift, okay, it has to be a known language. That's not even what's being done. So you get it wrong in the Holy Spirit. You receive the Spirit the moment you believe, and it's one baptism in the Spirit. That's it. Bible's very clear. Number two, you want to give us this idea that somehow you're more closer to the early church. You don't even follow what happened in the early church. You're making it up as you go. Now, Pentecostals tend to see their movement as reflecting the same kind of spiritual power and teachings that were found in the apostolic age of the early church. Now, apostolic age, that was the time of the apostles. The apostles, again, I'm not going to belabor this too much, but the apostles had certain gifts that you and I don't have today. They were for the apostles to validate we're moving from the old covenant to the new covenant, right? Okay. And since it's been verified, the old and new covenant right here, do we need those things? No, we don't need to. God already has written down for us what we need to know. So uh, with, again, the gift of miracles and certain sign gifts, like speaking in languages, known languages, that's why you need interpretation. Not you're interpreting uh, gibberish. It's just if somebody who didn't speak Chinese, the real Chinese, not what we saw last time, uh, uh, and you're all English, then they would interpret the Chinese, the known language, into English so we can all understand what was going on. That was the, but those aren't in function today, okay? But they want to say all that, including the offices are in function today. The apostolic office, prophet, all that stuff. No, they're not, okay? So this whole premise that you are following the early church, and if only we could be like you because you've discovered, it's not even true, all right? And this is the same thing. For this reason, some Pentecostals also use the term apostolic, 
okay? Because that's what they believe, that they're an apostle, the prophets, all those things that happened then are still in function today. That's not true, but that's what they mean by it, apostolic, or full gospel, okay? As if we are depleted, we are missing something. We only got like a half gospel because we don't believe in the gift of gibberish, as it really is, uh, or the prophets and apostles. So some, again, right there, splits the churches, right? Because you got the haves and have-nots, right? And it's not even biblical. Now, uh, the modern Pentecostal movement is generally regarded as having begun in 1901 in a chapel prayer meeting in Topeka, Kansas, led by Charles Parham, okay, that we saw over here at the Azusa Street Revival uh, there with uh, just prior to William Seymour. William Seymour goes to Parham, okay, and gets infected with that. All right, and he did that at his uh, college called Bethel Bible College. 1906, the Pentecostal experience of speaking in tongues burst on the scene. Stop right there. Really? The same thing that they're saying is the gift of language, which is not, it's gibberish. How long has it been going on? Man, ever since the death of the last apostles, it's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would say. Uh, But it burst on the scene, they say, during a revival by an American African Baptist church on Azusa Street, L.A., and following these beginnings, the Pentecostal preachers and churches spread rapidly, coalescing into various denominations and factions. I'd say splitting into various denominations and factions, because that's exactly what happened. But again, if your premise is not this, then is it any shocker that you got these guys over here believe... Of course, you're not going to have any unity, right? The scripture says that we need to be like-minded. You're thinking, how can we be like-minded? We're all so different with different backgrounds and different pedigree. You're like-minded if you all study the word of God. And this is actually what's unfortunate because one of the charges that the Roman Catholic Church, which is not Christianity, okay, uh, makes a charge against us Protestants of biblical Christianity is they say, well, that's why you guys got so many different denominations because you guys are telling people they can read this by themselves. The only people who knows what this means is the Pope and the priest. You have no right to, that's actually what they do. And they, they spin it. Well, I'm not here to say that we need 30,000 different denominations. The problem, even with Protestants, okay, biblical Protestants, is unfortunately they're not consistent with how they approach and interpret the scripture. If every Christian, even Protestant, was consistent in how they uh, approach the scripture, we wouldn't have all these denominations. God does not speak with forked tongue. It's all here. And he didn't write it purposely complex so only the spiritual and the elite can understand it. No, it's common sense. It's just people want the Bible to say something. They approach the Bible with a preconceived idea and then they twist it to try to make it the way that they want it to be and that's what's unfortunate, okay? But the charismatics, it's even beyond that, right? They don't even, they say they follow this, but it's really my experience told me or my vision or prophet told I had a word from God. He told me to tell. So that's bad enough. But anyway, so they start splintering in a massive way. Now, in 1913, uh, one popular teacher, this guy here, as you can see in the photo, Mr. R.E. McAllister, he's a Canadian, in Toronto there, he began teaching that the Trinity was a doctrine that was untrue and baptism should be done correctly in Jesus' name only. Now, how could a guy say something like that? Well, if the core of your premise is what? Okay, I follow the Bible, but really, God told me to tell you what it really means and God gave me a vision to tell you this new truth. And, well, that's where you're going to get all kinds of false teaching. And folks, I'm telling you, with all due respect, a lot of the charismatic community, the false teachings, a lot of them we're dealing with today, comes from this camp because they're outside the Bible. 
Okay, and that's what cults do. Okay, that's what started Mormonism again, as we saw before. Okay, but excuse me, being a teaching the Trinity was untrue and that baptism should be done in Jesus' name only, not in the traditional Trinitarian formula. Okay, well, let's take a look up about this guy. Robert uh, Edward McAllister, 1880 uh, to 1953, was a, again a Canadian pastor, evangelist, if you will. He's the founding members of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And he gave this sermon at one of these meetings they had concerning baptism in the name of Jesus at this Apostolic Faith Worldwide Camp meeting. And it uh, began to basically get spread, this idea, right? Because he heard from God, apparently, and he knows better than the rest of us. Obviously, that contradicts what? Matthew 28. Let's turn there real quick. We're going to do a lot of flipping tonight, right? Matthew 28. Right. How do you get around this one? I like, how do you go? But again, I, 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 this, is, this is the misnomer. Uh, we follow the word of God. Of course we follow the word of God. But when push comes to shove, you don't. And, and just as we saw earlier, when, when, how many baptisms are there in the spirit? When do you receive the spirit? At salvation, there's one. The Bible's very clear about that. When you're, you say you got the gift of uh, tongues, languages, it's always a known language. It has to be. It says it right there in the text. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. So you challenge them with the word, but no, but my experience told me. You don't understand. I was there. I cried alligator tears, none, and you don't know. God told me. And, right? It's the same thing. Now I'm saying, how in the world could you sit there and say that the only effective baptism, now we're talking water baptism, can only be done in Jesus' name only. Matthew 28. Man, this is, and this is Jesus' last words before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it's like, how do you get around this? It's almost like somebody's not reading the Bible, right? But here, here's what he says. Uh, verse 16, the 11 uh, disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make believers. No, go and fill up those pews. No, go and, and jack up your numbers. And the, the successful church today of the church of Jesus Christ is the one that's got the biggest numerical numbers. In fact, whatever you got to do, you got to do at all costs. You got to do slick marketing technique. You know, in fact, don't even preach the Bible because that's going to turn people away. What you need to do in order to be a successful church is to go out there and have the biggest numbers and, and don't teach the Bible and, and just make people feel good and learn to be a better you. They'll come flocking. That's how you're going to be a successful. Now that's what's going on today. And how many times have we seen that one before? But what do he say? Go make what? Disciples. Methetes in the Greek. I believe it's where the word we get mathematics. It means disciplined learner. Disciplined learner of what? Pop psychology? Self-esteem? False teachings? No. Of the Bible. So go out there and make d- disciples. Right? Preach the word. All right? And then he says, when people get saved, what's going to happen? Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus only. No, what's it say? How do you get around this? The name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what, 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 what are you also talking about there? You're talking about the Trinity, right? And teaching them to obey everything I commanded to you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, okay? So this guy gets his supposed new message, okay? He was born in Canada. His parents, James and Margaret McAllister, were Presbyterians uh, at the time that he was born, 1891, he uh, supposedly became a Christian. I'll use that word supposedly. Because you look at what oneness Pentecostal teaches, okay, we probably just get into the intro tonight. Shocker. Okay, but uh, they believe in a works-based salvation, which is not the gospel. You have to be baptized. People on the cross get baptized. When nobody was looking, hey, watch this. He got down, Jesus got back up there. <laughs> Hey, look, squirrel. <laughs> is it, 
give me a break, right? That, that, and plus, that would add to the cross, wouldn't it? That, a work. But not only that, they say that you have to speak in their gibberish. So, so if that really is your so-called gospel, are these people really saved? No, folks, because you're not trusting solely in the work of Jesus Christ. You're adding works to it, which is not the gospel. This is serious stuff. So that's why I say, okay, you supposedly became a Christian in the holiness movement. Now, what was the holiness movement? That's this false teaching from the charismatic stuff. So he got influenced by that. Uh, he starts a supposed Obama college, but then he quits after an illness, after a year. And then guess where he goes? The Azusa Street Revival. And so he gets infected with that. Okay, with that. And he decides to hit the road and go preach this uh, uh, new thing that happened at the Azusa Street Revival, which is not new. Okay, the tongues and second dose of the Holy Spirit, and i.e. the gibberish and the second dose of the Holy Spirit, and you can be perfect and all that stuff and all these supposed miracles and all the things you can do. And so he got, but again, he felt that he had a new word from God, that it can only be in Jesus' name only, okay, and a flat-out denial of the Trinity, okay? Now, uh, later this would spread, and uh, he started the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, and of course the Oneness Pentecostal Apostolic Religious Organizations came from him. Uh, May 17, 1917, after backlash from other Pentecostal members, because again, after this event, you know, he's got a new word, this is just one of many split-offs. So even his own camp saying, what are you talking about denying the Trinity, right? I mean, that's, come on, that's uh, cardinal truth, right? Then he goes back up to Canada, the Pentecostal assemblies in Canada, and basically it's what becomes uh, the oneness Pentecostalism that we're still dealing with today by the millions. Now put your thinking caps on tonight because we're going to go down a little bit deep on the Trinity. So pay attention, right? Because they get this wrong big time. And maybe you got a wrong understanding of the Trinity. It needs to be corrected. I don't know. Hopefully not. Okay, but modalism is basically God is different. He presents himself in three modes. He, the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they say is not eternally existent. That in this mode of time, he was the Father. And then at this mode of time, he was the Son. And then at this mode of time, he was the Holy Spirit. Not true. They are co-equal, okay, and co-eternal is what the scripture teaches. You might think that that's not a big deal, but it is because you get it wrong on the Trinity. That means you get God wrong. You get the son wrong. You get the Holy, you get, you get, you get everything wrong. Okay. But let's take a look at what is this modalism thing that they teach versus the real biblical teaching of the Trinity. Let's take a look. Worldwide, there are 24 million charismatics who belong to a group that can be called oneness Pentecostal. What is oneness Pentecostalism? Sometimes you see it as Jesus only. It denies the Trinity. Twenty-four million, they deny the Trinity. About one out of every four in America. What do they believe? They believe in what is called modalism, that there's one God and He appears in three different modes. Sometimes He's the Father. Sometimes He's the Son, and sometimes He's the Spirit, but He's never all three at the same time. He has these three, these three modes in which He can appear. A little bit of trouble with that at the baptism of Jesus, right? I mean, He's changing hats really fast. But way back in the Athanasian Creed, it was settled that God 
is Father, Son, and Spirit, three co-equal, co-existent divine persons. Modalism has been condemned throughout all of church history as a heresy at a foundational level that literally attacks the nature of God and cuts you off from the possibility of salvation. Probably the leading oneness Pentecostal that you would know is T.D. Jakes, who denies the Trinity. You don't have the true God. You don't have the true Christ. You don't have the true Spirit. The modalist asserts this, there is one God who can be designated by three different names. He can be called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at different times. These three are not distinct persons. They are just different modes of the one God. Thus God can be called Father as the Creator of the world and Lawgiver. He can be called Son as God incarnate in Jesus Christ. He can be called Holy Spirit as uh, God in the church age. Accordingly, Jesus Christ is God and the Spirit of God, but not as distinct persons. Councils of Nicaea, 325, Constantinople, 381, modalism was universally condemned as heresy. And it should be condemned today, uh, flat out. Okay, this is not a, this is not a you know, I, I would, this, this is getting down to a salvific issue. You get the wrong God means you're going to end up with the wrong gospel. Okay, yet, did you see how many people are believing this, saying that they're Christians? So they're out there. They got church services. They're supposedly uh, uh, giving people a gospel, but is it really the real gospel? That's what's sad. Now, since he mentioned them, we're going to hit them, and it certainly deals with our topic of oneness Pentecostalism. Uh, the biggest one on the planet is this guy, T.D. Jakes. Right? He is out there on a big deal. So let's deal with him, okay? And uh, T.D. Jakes, a Bishop Thomas Dexter. That's where you get the T.D. Jakes. Born in 1957, he's a popular black preacher evangelist who's the main pastor of the Potter's House Church in Dallas, Texas, founded in 1996. Got a congregation of over uh, uh, 30,000 people. Right? Well, it's got a lot of people. It must be from God. Not necessarily. Right? He comes from the United Pentecostal or Oneness Pentecostalism. So guess what he denies? He denies the Trinity. And yet this guy's out there supposed to be a Christian? Unfortunate. Now, he's written over 30 books, listen, with many on the New York Times bestsellers list. And, listen to this, he's been on numerous TV interviews. He's been featured on Times, Forbes, Essence Magazines, The Washington Post, USA Today, CNN, Fox News, and more. And it, we talked about this before with all those guys, the, the Benny Hinn, the Kenneth Copelands, and all the word, faith, false teachers that's coming out of the charismatic movement as well, right? Guess who's become the, quote, face of Christianity? These guys. And then you had these guys who even deny the Trinity, and that's the tip of the iceberg. There's more, okay? But, uh, and these guys are what? You're the ones who are make, on the New York Times bestsellers list. You're a, supposed to be the face of Christianity? It's sad. But I got a theory, and it goes like this. If you were the enemy, and you wanted to propagate lies, because who's the father of all lies? John chapter 8, Satan, right? He's not only a murderer, he's been one from the beginning, but he's a liar, and he's the father of all lies. So if you want to propagate lies to the church, and uh, even give the idea that this is what the church believes to the world, okay, what would you do? Would you promote biblical teachers, right? <laughs> no, what would you do? Every time somebody uh, starts heading down that route, right, and they start propagating this stuff, and maybe they got a little bit of charisma behind them, okay, you're going to make sure they get on TV. You're going to make sure they got millions of dollars to be able to pull this off. Just a theory, just a theory that I have personally. 
Okay, it's unfortunate. All right, but let's continue on with this guy. Uh, he's also uh, conferences and events. He's got uh, uh, conferences called Woman Thou Art Loosed and Manpower and Megafest. That's right. Uh, he's got a weekly television broadcast called The Potter's House, which is uh, televised on Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN, uh, or probably should be called uh, Terrible Blasphemy Network or something, if that's my thing. Sorry, that's the facts. Uh, and various other networks. Uh, he's also ranked, listen, this guy denies the Trinity, and there's others. He is re- among the, quote, 50 most influential Christians in America. But yet you can't even get the core truth about God right. And you're supposed to be representing us? Oh, and remember, a lot of people, every time we start going down this route, we start calling out names, which the Bible does. Remember Jesus called out the Pharisees in public, Matthew 23. Remember Paul called out Hymenaeus, Alexander, right? It's still recorded. Their names are recorded in the Bible, right? And John, right, he called out Diotrephes. So it's okay to call people out by name because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to warn people. Of, you know, well, there's a guy out there who denies the Trinity. And if you ever run across this guy who, who denies the Trinity and says he's a Christian, don't do it. Well, thanks, Pastor. Thanks for letting me know who that was so I could be warned. Thanks for loving me and telling me nothing. Right? You call him out. So this is what these guys are doing. Right? And, and, and so, anyway, that's unfortunate. Now, again, he denies the Trinity. Okay? Because he's what? What's his camp? He's coming out of the oneness Pentecostalism. Okay? Uh, now, also, <clears throat> he's very vague. He dances around, uh, unfortunately, several issues. Because there's two other false teachings that we haven't got into yet with oneness Pentecostalism. And that is that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And you have to, quote, speak in tongues i.e. their gibberish, in order to be saved, right? And when he's asked this, he dances around the issue. So literally, they're saying, we're not even really clear. He would, oh, no, I don't believe that. But then he doesn't really come out and authoritatively say, oh, I absolutely deny that. That would be making works, right? So he dances around that issue, okay? Uh, as one person said, it would be helpful if Jakes would clarify his position on baptism and speaking in tongues since he comes from oneness Pentecostal roots, but doesn't seem to want to give a straight answer. Now, uh, they also, uh, at the Potter's House, uh, promote uh, female pastors, which we saw is not biblical as well. Uh, The Potter's House ordains women pastors and explicitly supports women in ministry as senior pastors, which is obviously against uh, the scripture as well. Okay, now another one that he just refused to answer, he just dances around, man, like a cat on a hot tin roof, okay, uh, is the issue of homosexuality. Okay, and this, this came out in uh, 2015, and I got the interview, could share with you a little bit of the clip, but he actually makes a statement that his views on homosexuality are, have evolved and are evolving. What's there to evolve on the issue? It's pretty clear in the Bible, but here's the interview. A question coming in from uh, Black185 in our, in our uh, digital community said, do you, do you think, I'm assuming, uh, LGBT community and the black church can coexist? Absolutely. I, I, let me push that question because that, that's sort of an obvious yes. Church ain't turning nobody away. 
how should the black church and LGBT community exist? I think it's going to be diverse from church to church. Every church has a different opinion on the issue, and every gay person is different. And I think that to to speak the church, the black church or white church or any kind of church you want to call it, are all the same is totally, totally not true. And all gay people are not the same. The, the, the types of relationships that are afforded are based on the types of people in each individual case. Yeah. And LGBTs of types and sorts have to find a household of worship that reflects what your views are and what you believe like anybody else. And the church should have the right to have its own convictions and values. If you don't like those convictions and values and you totally disagree with it, don't try to change my house. Move into your own and, and establish that sort of thing and find somebody who gets what you get about faith. And uh, trust me, I've talked to enough LGBT. They are not all the same. Oh, for sure. <laughs> anyone and all Christians No, no. Uh, but... How, how do we, first of all, has your thinking evolved on this? E- evolved and evolving. Mm-hmm. Evolved and evolving. Well, well, first of all, did you know how he danced around that? Well, you know, you know, if you, you know what, you, you're, what you need to do instead of going into a church and try to change them, which I agree. But what was his response? Was it like, you need to submit to the word of God on that issue because God makes up the rules and then whatever he says, he, no, what do he say? You need to go find a place that supports what you believe. Who, who puts that, that puts man in the driver's seat of what's true and what's not true? What do you think, you God? Right? So he led people down a false path, but he didn't answer it. And then on top of it, evolved and evolving, what's there to evolve? Open your Bibles to Leviticus 18. We'll do Old and New Testament. Oh, that's just an Old Testament. No, it's not. Leviticus 18, let's take a look, right? And uh, verse 22 through 24, I'm going to grab a little bit of the context here. And uh, let's take a look, right? What is there to evolve? This is about as black and white as you can get, right, in the scripture. And uh, by the way, we all know that Sodom and Gomorrah, that God uh, uh, poured out, you know, the fire and brimstone because uh, they wouldn't stop playing poker. Hey, give me a break. Come on. People dance around that issue too. But these, these are obviously in the scripture, right? Listen to this, verse 22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is acceptable. That is an alternative lifestyle. What's it say? That is detestable. So what, what's he implying there? If a man lies with a man, what's that called today? Homosexuality, what does God call it? Detestable. Keep reading the context. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a what? Perversion. Why? Because that's called bestiality. Now, I would assume and hope that uh, uh, even though there's, believe it or not, trends that people are trying to say this is okay, as long as, as well as pedophilia. Okay, if you can believe that. But I would assume that most people still would think bestiality. Of course, that's wrong. That's an abomination. That's, that's a perversion. Well, what, what was right before it? Homosexuality. It's detestable. And this is a perversion as well, bestiality. And then he says this, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled, right? And yet what he say? Ah, don't worry, I'm evolving and evolving on it. And you know, don't, don't change my church, but you just need to go out there and you need to find a church that believes what you believe and a so-called church and what, excuse me, you need to submit to God's word. Why did you dance around that? That's so easy. Romans chapter 1 is our next one. Romans chapter 1. Very clear. And uh, there's nothing to evolve or evolve here. Uh, Let's take a look. And again, I bring both of these up because, again, they say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. Really? Pretty blunt in the New Testament, too. I think God's pretty consistent about it. 
right? Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse 26 to 27. And this is in the context why God's wrath is being revealed on mankind. Why is God's wrath coming? Well, because of sinful behavior, and he mentions a bunch. And guess what he mentions there, starting with verse uh, 26. Let's take a look there. Because of this, God gave them over to uh, alternative lifestyles, things that they could go and find a religious group who believes what they believe. No, shameful, shameful loss. Listen, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. What's he talking about? Lesbianism. How do you know that? Because he gives you the next one. In the same way, okay, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for another. What's that? Homosexuality. So he calls out lesbianism, homosexuality, and says this. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the do what? Blessing? Penalty for their perversion, right? So my thing is, what? I mean, that's an easy one, right? That's, that's like one of those questions. If you've if you ever been on a Q&A panel, and I've been on them, right? Or if you've ever done an interview, right? And you don't even know what's coming their way. They could ask you any question, whatever. And it's just like, uh, uh, what about, were dinosaurs on UFOs next to Noah's Ark? You know, some freaky question. Oh, no, please don't answer that. You know, <laughs> this one's what's called, is just, it's, it's a, it's a softball. It's, it's, it's a bunt. It's like, this is an easy question. You know, like the questions they gave Hillary when she was running for president. Hey, is, is the weather going to change tomorrow? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, but this is an easy one. Uh, so uh, is homosexuality wrong? Yeah. Oh, no, see, really what you got to do is you got to really, you got to find a place, a church where you can, and then they can, and then you don't change me, but then you find the group, and then you guys don't even really agree with each other, and then, and I'm evolved and evolving. Does anybody have a problem with this? Uh, yeah, let's just call it out. It's no, it's wrong. Next question. Right? He danced all around it. Okay. And, uh, but that's what this guy is. He's one of the biggest guys that are out there. Uh, why is the Trinity important? Because uh, it's unbiblical to deny it. Because it's biblical is where we get it from. It's from the Bible right? Uh, first, the Trinitarian view of God is the correct biblical view of God, which he rejects, uh, T.D. Jakes, and oneness Pentecostalism. Second, the modalistic view of God that we're left with has many errors regarding the incarnation of Jesus. So it messes up Jesus coming to the planet, amongst other things. Listen, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father, some oneness theologians argue that Jesus' flesh is praying to his divine self. Remember, because that's the mode that God is supposed to be in right now as God the Son. They're not eternally, co-equal, eternal, right? It's just, here's where you got God the Father operating, but at this time, it's just God the Son, Jesus. So when he's praying to the Father, they say, well, that's Jesus' divine self. What? That makes no sense. And again, like uh, MacArthur mentioned, what do you do with the baptism of Jesus? You got God the Father from the sky, saying, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. You got the Son being baptized. You got the Holy Spirit being lighted on like as in, in a dove. How do you explain that one? Right? Anyway, so, but it it goes on. He says this, if this is the case, then Jesus' divine self has not truly been incarnated. Right? Because apparently his divine self is still in heaven while his flesh is on earth. So now you're separating, you're messing up Jesus who's fully God and fully man at the same time. Right? So again, it's, you might think, well, they got a different view on the Trinity. No, it messes everything up. Which could include, again, do you even have an understanding of the gospel? 
right? The incarnation is not a true incarnation if God is sometimes the Father and sometimes the Son and sometimes the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was incarnated on the earth, he was fully divine the entire time. Fully God, fully man. He did not leave his divine self uh, and his human, uh, so, uh, that his, uh, to the human nature to itself so that the divine self could go off and govern the universe. It's ridiculous. Also, according to the scripture, Jesus uh, was obviously eternally the son. Hebrews 13, John chapter 1. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. How, how long? Forever. So not just in a mode of time. Was it just, okay, now it's time for Jesus the son. That's how God's representing himself. And then later it's going to be God the spirit. It, it's crazy, right? John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, obviously contextually speaking about Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God, okay? He was with God in the beginning, right? And that's just a little teaser. According to one theology, being, uh, the being that is incarnating is not the eternal son of God. They say, well, that's really the father. Well, now you're getting really confused because on the one hand, you say that Jesus, when he's prayed in Gethsemane, uh, that's just his flesh that was praying and his divine part is somewhere out in the universe. But that's really not him. It's really the Father. What? Folks, this is serious stuff. Now, fourth, the sacrifice, listen to this, the sacrifice of God the Son, Jesus, on the cross, it, in order for it to have any significance, he must atone for sinners before God the Father. You get this? Follow. If Jesus is dying to reconcile people to himself, okay, it is incompatible with the biblical view where it says Jesus died as a substitute to satisfy the wrath of God the Father, right? He died to satisfy the wrath of God the Father. But if he's dying to satisfy just himself, which is off in the universe doing something, but somehow is sort of the Father, but then where did Jesus' divine part go? And you see what I'm saying? What's going on here? And what are you actually teaching and preaching? Okay, and again, we see that the wrath of God, he died to satisfy the wrath of God. The Father, Jesus, the Son did, Romans 5, Ephesians 2, 1 Thessalonians 1. The Trinity, if one denies it, he or she is in serious biblical error, listen, and should not be teaching on major television networks. <laughs> it is problematic when people like Jake's deny this orthodox teaching of Scripture even after numerous warnings. Hey, guys, you're missing it. It's wrong. Who are you to tell me? I'm the anointed of God. Touch not thine anointing. How dare you? Whoa. We've already been through that baloney too, right? Or I've got special knowledge from God. I can do these things that you can't. Remember the eeny, meeny, miny, mo? You can keep that. Okay. But let's continue on. That's the TGJ. By 1916, uh, oneness views were being expounded by some ministers in the Assembly of God. So this stuff starts to spread, right? Denomination. Now, they were strongly rejected by the denomination's council that year, and the Assemblies of God adopted a strong Trinitarian stance in the statements of faith, right? So it started to infect it, and then they're saying, well, wait a second, no, we better keep that one, right? Even though you got other issues going on wrong. Okay, and we'll get to that eventually, Lord one. Uh, but then they, they begin to split. So more than 160 oneness ministers who were expelled from the Assembly of God quickly formed their own alliances to promote their doctrines. Notice it wasn't to teach the Bible, to make disciples, right? To get out there and propagate God's truth and only his truth. Solo scriptura. Nope. What? My doctrine. So who's on the throne right there? Self, right? And self is making it up because self is operating outside the scripture, right? 
Now, let's go on. After that time, a number of oneness sects formed, most of which were predominantly African-American. The largest oneness movements today are the United Pentecostal Church International, the UPCI, and the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, or PAW. The UPCI was organized in 1945 with the union of two predominantly white groups uh, started earlier in the century. The PAW formed in 1918, but split along racial lines in 1924. Today, it's predominantly African-American, and guess who's the biggest proponent of it? T.G. Jakes, who's on the New Year bestsellers time. He's getting airtime in the news media across our country, across the world, Supposed to be a Christian. Sad. Sad, sad. You wonder why it's getting so hard to try to witness to people today. And they come up to you and go like, you're one of those. It's not helping things. Tell you what. Source of authority. Why do people get it wrong? Now again, remember we're dealing with our final section of world religions, cults. We're in the cult section. Lord willing, start a 5,322. If the rapture doesn't happen, we're still alive. We're actually going to get to the occult section. Okay. Uh, but we're still in this. Now, why, why, why do cults arise? Why, and we saw there's always five areas, five areas that they always get it wrong. How do you know you're involved in the cult? You're going to launch a cult. You're going to be a part of a cult. You're in a cult. The first thing is your source of authority. And that's what it says right there. And this is where they get it wrong, folks, right here. The oneness Pentecostalism believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, if you were to stop right there, praise God. And if you were to actually do it, praise God. If you actually follow it and preach it and believe it, praise God. You wouldn't, believe, you wouldn't discount the Trinity. And you wouldn't be adding works to the cross of Christ. You wouldn't say you have to be baptized to be saved. You wouldn't say you got to speak in gibberish to be saved. Right? You wouldn't be ordaining female pastors. Okay, and all that stuff. But what they say, and the ultimate source of authority, they say, however, there's specific interpretations. Take a deep breath before you write, because that's three in one night. Three blinks, right? Uh, Make sure you got the strength. Their specific interpretations are considered what? Correct over other interpretations. So isn't that that? Well, that's your interpretation. Folks, no, that's a cop-out. Right? That's a cop-out. You don't want to submit to the Word of God. Because you know what? When Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father by me. Guess what? You know what that means? He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father by me. The Bible's written like that. Well, that's your interpretation. What do you mean that's my interpretation? Even a six-year-old can get that one. Right? What that phrase there, that's your interpretation, really means is, I don't want it to mean that. Right? And so I, my interpretation is better, and I've got the authority because I can do this thing that you can't, and I'm a prophet. And God gave me a dream, and that dream was real because I cried like a baby. You weren't there. I had goosebumps in my goosebumps, and my cat hugged me when I was done. So what? God does not speak in forked tongue. He either says it or doesn't. It's really clear. Leviticus 18, Romans chapter 1. There's no secret hidden Hebrew or Southern Greek that you've got to discover. It's plain. God's word is plain. He wants us to know the truth. Right? So this whole thing is what they're doing. They're saying, well, they got the better interpretation. Basically, they want it to say something, so they're going to run with it. Now, when you get the wrong source of authority, what's this, what spills downhill? The rest of the four, how do you know you're involved in the cult? You get off the Bible. You may say it's your authority, but you really, their experience is it's not the Bible. It's something else. Okay, and that's the danger. And the next thing you're going to get wrong is God, which includes the Trinity. We're going to hit that again real quick. All right, oneness Pentecostalism 
uh, theology affirms that there exists one's God. It affirms the deity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. However, they deny the Trinity and teach that God is a single person who is manifested as Father in creation and as the Father of the Son, in the Son in our redemption, and in the Holy Spirit in our regeneration. Again, three different modes at separate times, right? Another way of looking at it is God revealed himself in three separate appearances at a point in time. Uh, they say, well, he was the Father in the Old Testament, and he, he was the son in Jesus during his ministry here on earth, like, you know, in the Gospels. And then now he exists as the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Okay, which, think about that one. Where did he go? Who's he sitting next to? If now it's only God, the Holy Spirit, in this mode. It's just, it's, think it through, okay? It makes mishmash of that. Now, what's the biblical response? There is one God. He is the creator and Lord over everything that exists. He's infinite. He's transcendent, eternal, unchangeable, omnipresent, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent. He eternally exists as the triune God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each equal, having the same attributes, equal, worthy of adoration, worship, and faith. And one thing the scripture is very clear, everyone is eternal. You know, I just don't understand this trinity. You're teaching three gods. No, I'm not. Not even close. We're going to have an analogy here in a second, which is kind of cool. But uh, what's, we've dealt with this before in our other discipleship studies. Discipleship 102. Remember those days? Yeah, back when we were three. Okay, you thought the six was long ago. But uh, no, uh, but we had a whole chapter, a whole study on the Trinity, right? Uh, the, you got uh, water, which is a liquid, right? If you leave it alone, but if you freeze, it becomes a solid. But if you heat it up, it becomes a vapor. Which one of those is not water, Right? Right? It didn't say, you know, at it, it, one point in time, it just was water. And then the water just kind of went away. And then at one point in time, it said, no, it's all three at the same time. It's all water. Right? So again, that's a loose analogy. Right? So God is one, and he reveals himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, it's all eternal. You can't section it up and chop it up. Right? Let's continue on. Uh, God exists eternally as three. Now, don't get confused here. That's your fourth blank is three. Pay attention, right? Three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first indication of the plurality of persons uh, within the Godhead comes in Genesis 1, where God speaks of himself in the plural sense. Genesis chapter 1, open there. And again, how can you, if you mess up the Trinity, you didn't even make it past the first page or the first chapter of the Bible, right? Genesis chapter 1, turn there real quick. Clearly, if, if you deny the Trinity, you, you make no sense of this verse. You're in, you're in a heap of trouble, all right? Because the Trinity explains what is going on here. Uh, Genesis, and uh, start with verse 24. And, and, and God said, of course, the creation account, uh, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to the kinds. And God saw that was good. Then God said, let, who's us? It's Elohim in the Hebrew. It's in the plural form. Now, right here, and this is actually a good thing to, if you want to witness, blow the mind of a, a Jewish person. Right, uh, and because uh, that's one of the uh, uh, hang-up that they have. You guys are teaching three gods. No, we're not. We're teaching the Bible God, but he reveals himself in the three eternally, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, but us is Elohim, it's plural. So who's in the act of creation here? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if you deny the Trinity, 
Okay, how do you explain this? Now, if you, that's why we believe in the Trinity because the Bible teaches it, but that's why the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Because even back here, oh, that's the Trinity. That's what he's talking about. Move on, right? And he said, let us uh, make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground, okay? As we saw there, all right? Back to the workbook, what's he say? He says, in the context here, obviously, it's the plural name for God, Elohim, uh, certainly speaks of God's supremacy, uh, more than Trinity, but it's plural. So plural form obviously opens the door for what? Plurality within the Godhead, one, okay? And, uh, and that certainly is what that's implying there, let us. Now, let me give you that other analogy too that we've used before. You got uh, one plus one plus one equals what? Three. That's what people charge us with saying, right? That's not what's going on here because you're dealing with co-equal uh, eternal personages of the Godhead of the Trinity. So really it's of the same essence, right? So you got then therefore one times one times one times one equals one. So we even know that three mathematically can still be one when you're dealing of the same essence. That's the biblical teaching. The threeness of God is developed in the New Testament as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's all recognized as God. This observation of the deity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is the foundation for Trinitarianism. Importantly, the threeness of God does not contradict the oneness of God because the threeness is in respect to persons and the oneness is in respect to essence. The term person is somewhat inadequate because it connotes that some things that are true of God and some things that are not. By using the term persons, Christians do not mean that God has a physical body or that there are three distinct beings. Now that's important to note. We might use that term, but be careful. We're not talking about, you know, God the Father is an actual person. Now, why would that be important? If you recall our study back in uh, Mormonism, what do they teach? That God is a person. Why? Because they believe that they can become gods, right? So as God was, so we can be, you know, that, that false teaching that they have. That's why they're knocking on doors, you know, doing their little two-year tour and going through their priesthood rites, which Joseph Smith ripped off from Freemasonry. That's supposed to be a secret, but he was a liar and a con artist and involved in witchcraft, as we dealt with before, okay, because they were trying to become their own gods, okay? Uh, but that's what he's talking about here. Uh, be careful when you use the word person, okay, because God, you know, the Father, like he's not a person. And, and Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll, they'll say this. Well, see, when, when it says right there that uh, God was a person, because when, when Moses was getting the commandments, it said, and it, it was written by the finger of God. Well, the, the, it's, it's a communication term, tool, right? That God is it's called anthropomorphisms, right? Where God uses anthropos, man. He uses man's terms to dis- try to describe himself. He's not a man like us, God the Father, right? Okay, but he, he uses terms so that we could kind of understand who he is, Right? So, I mean, but so think about that, right? Did you really think this big, gigantic finger came from the sky? Whoa, look at the size of that. It was, no. He's basically saying that the hand of God, is, God's the one responsible for writing the tablets. That's all he's saying. Let me use another one. This one could freak you out, too, if you get this one wrong. Another anthropomorphism. God uses to describe himself. But it doesn't mean he literally is. Okay. Uh, Psalm uh, 91. Beautiful psalm. Talks about God's protection, right? And he says that, you know, he'll, he'll cover us, you know, and, and gather us under his wings. So, and we all know that God's just this big, giant, cosmic chicken in the sky. 
So he's got this big finger. And he flies. No, we wouldn't think that. Hopefully not. Okay, what's he saying? He's just using the anthropomorphism to describe his sheltering care. In our terms. So we can understand him and his character and his attributes. That's all it is. Right? That's what he's just saying. He's just be careful when you use that term. I'm not saying it's wrong. He says, but you don't want to start going down that route because Mormons go, yeah, you're right. He's a person. Right? Anyway, I digress, but let's move on. Right? He says, um, we have only known one person is equaling one being. The concept of three person is one uh, in one being is unfamiliar to us. Again, it doesn't seem to make sense, but there's certain analogies you can use. Okay, it makes sense. But, but the reason why we do it and we have to grapple with this is because this is what the Bible teaches. This is how God reveals himself. Oh, and by the way, I'm not overly alarmed when there's certain things in scriptures that we have a, a, a challenge sometimes in getting, right? Takes us a little while. We got to really think about it. We got to put a thinking caps on. You know why? Because here's a logical statement. If I could figure out everything completely perfect about God who by definition is infinite, and I could figure out everything perfectly by God, okay, then that would make God no bigger than my finite brain. So I'm not surprised that there's certain things that kind of like, whoa, that's blown some brain cells. You expect that when the finite is trying to understand the infinite. But God stoops down to our level. He uses our terminology to help us still try to get it. Okay. Now, let me give you a little photo here. I like this. This is from actually the early church. And if only people would stick to this, then it, it's a proper understanding of the Trinity. But basically, you see what? There's one God. Nobody's preaching three gods, right? There's one God. Okay, he is the Father. He is the Spirit. And he is the Son. Now, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. But which one's not God? And do they only appear at certain times? No, they exist co-equally, eternally. So you get it? That's all God's did. That's, that's theirs. But again, this is what oneness Pentecostal completely denies uh, that aspect as well. One more thing, we'll have a video and we'll close out. Distinction of persons. In the Old Testament, God the Father is distinguished within the Godhead, is your next blank there, the Godhead in several ways. God is set apart from the Lord. The Lord is set apart from the Redeemer. The Lord is set apart from the Spirit. The Lord is set apart from the angel of Lord, which is typically what people would call pre-incarnate Christophanes, appearances of Christ before his earthly incarnation. In the New Testament, God the Father is distinguished from the Son in that they relate with each other. In addition, the Son and the Spirit are distinct from each other. Again, go back to that thing. What we got? One God who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Which one does not exist eternally? They all are, right? But let's close out with the understanding on what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? Many skeptics seem to misunderstand this important doctrine of Christianity as a pagan idea or a modalist idea. But a brief explanation of the Trinity will explain that neither of these are correct. The core doctrine of the Trinity can be said in three sentences. There is one God, God is three persons, each person is fully God. This differs from a modalist understanding, which would say there is only one God who reveals himself in three different forms or persons, whereas the Trinity says there are three coexisting eternal persons who exist as one God. The Trinity also differs from a pagan grouping of gods who say there are three different gods who are simply one in purpose but are fully separate. 
whereas the persons of the Trinity are not different gods, but one God. Most of those who misunderstand the Trinity tend to classify the Trinity as one of these, but they are both incorrect. The Trinity is not one God revealing himself as different forms, and the Trinity is not three different gods. The Trinity is one God who is three persons, and each person is fully God. The first person of the Trinity is the Father. He is the source of the Godhead and all things. He is transcendent, uncaused, and beyond mere existence. He simply is. The second person of the Trinity is the Son, who is the Word of the Father. He is eternally begotten of the Father, uncreated, begotten, not made. His source is in the Father, and humans can approach the Father through the Son. The third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, who is neither begotten nor created. He eternally proceeds from the Father. He is the active agent of God in the world and the guide of the Church. His source is in the Father as well, yet He has always existed. It is important to mention that the members interact with one another and the world. The Father sent the Holy Spirit like a dove onto the Son at His baptism. The Son sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Father created the world through the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there is present interaction within the Trinity. Now while the Father is the ultimate source, the Son and the Holy Spirit are not less in power or divinity. They are all eternal and all fully divine. They all coexist as one God, yet as separate persons of one undivided essence. They are eternally loving and love one another in perfect harmony. So there is no disagreement or division within the Trinity, because they share only one nature. A good but not perfect analogy has been likened to the sun. There is the star, the heat, and the rays. As long as the star has existed, it has been generating rays, and heat has proceeded from it. Likewise, as long as the Father has existed, he has been pouring out his being into the Son, and the Spirit has been proceeding from him. So it is important to understand what the Trinity is. So again, there is one God, God is three persons, each person is fully God. Turn to somebody and say, you won't get that on the back of a granola bar. I'll tell you what, it makes your brain think, doesn't it? What a concept. But believe it or not, folks, that is a big deal, Right? And uh, we're going to stop right there for tonight. But again, this is what happens when you get into occults. This is what is the danger of the charismatic movement, uh, including one is Pentecostalism, which came out of it, is you make this the, the, the classic five mistakes. How do you know you're involved in the occult? You're going to head into an occult. You're going to be a part of a cult, etc., etc. You get the source of authority wrong. When you say that your truth comes outside the Bible, God told me to tell you, or I know, or that my interpretation is better than you, you're off base. So what's going to happen? You're going to get God wrong. We're going to see, Lord willing, next time, guess who they also get wrong? Jesus. Okay, you get Jesus wrong, and then guess what? Then you, it spills downhill. You even get man wrong, okay, and our need of a Savior. Okay, and then, of course, what's the big, big issue? Man, of all things, don't get this one wrong, but you get salvation wrong right? You could, hey, you could disagree all day long. I mean, if you want to eat chicken and destroy your health, that's between you and God, right? See, I, I don't know. It's called foul meat for a reason, folks. Just deal with it, right? But, uh, but that's a secondary issue, okay? Come on, right? But don't get how to get to heaven wrong, right? And don't add to the cross of Christ, because if you add to the cross of Christ, you ain't going to heaven. And unfortunately, that's what these people do. And they need to be called out, because listen, our silence allows these people to propagate not just false teachings, but what are we dealing with here, folks? A false gospel. So when we keep our mouth shut, on the one hand, this is really what we're saying to people. Hey, I'm more interested in being your friend than you going to heaven. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love you this way. Let me shake your hand as you go straight into hell. 
I don't want a friend like that. Do you? Aren't you glad somebody told you the truth? When you thought you had your interpretation? Right. We need to do the same. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. 
that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.